0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, June 17th, and we're talking LinkedIn and Microsoft. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by full.com tech analyst, Daniel Sparks. Daniel, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: Doing all right. I will say, Daniel, in preparation for the show, I sent you a LinkedIn Connect request, and I haven't gotten confirmation that you accepted it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take a your, your LinkedIn profile make sure that you worthy request. Make sure the story
0: checks out that I am who I yeah. say I am. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> so the tech news that overwhelmed uh, financial media this week, uh, LinkedIn and Microsoft, probably one of the bigger mergers in tech history, uh, certainly the largest that Microsoft has decided to take on. Uh, let's walk through the details of the deal.
1: Yeah. So Monday, we wake up to a big stock move. Uh, LinkedIn Microsoft announced a a big deal. In fact, it was Microsoft's biggest acquisition in history ever, paying $26.2 billion for the company. Uh, It comes out to $196 per share, which represents a 50% premium from where the stock was trading before the announcement. So uh, that's why the stock moved so big that day. And uh, mainly, Microsoft. Made this deal uh, because LinkedIn is a solid investment in its own right. Um, This is evident by the fact that Microsoft decided to keep LinkedIn's identity intact as its own uh, unique culture, as its own
0: unique business, bring in their CEO, leave him operating the company. So in a lot of ways, while this is an acquisition, LinkedIn is going to maintain some independence. Uh, in some way, it's, it seems kind of like they're going to be a s- kind of sectioned off business unit uh, within Microsoft, and that while there will be a lot of uh, collaboration and sharing of uh, you know like some of the graphs and things like that that connect users on the Office platform and the LinkedIn platform, um, LinkedIn will kind of keep this unique brand corporate, corporate culture and identity.
1: Yes, and and I think that kind of shows a little bit difference in the way Nadella uh, goes about his acquisitions. Uh, because previously, they really focused on a lot of
0: integrations instead of uh, just keeping the business as it is. So I think a lot of people are thinking it. Um, what are the compelling reasons for this acquisition? I I think some people are like, yeah, this totally makes sense. Some people are like, this mm-hmm. is a total head scratcher. I don't really see it. Uh, what are you seeing here, Daniel? So
1: Microsoft did bring up that there were synergies and integrations that could be achieved through this. Uh, and that, I think, is what's raising a lot of eyebrows because, for instance, some of the synergies that they mentioned were integrating LinkedIn profiles into various Outlook, uh, various Microsoft products, uh, such as Outlook or Office, uh, so that when you're doing these collaborative efforts, you have context on uh, of who's there. Uh, so this is an example where... Something like this could have been achieved easily through somewhat of a win-win partnership. Uh, it doesn't seem like there really needs to be a transaction for this to happen. Uh, but then there's also integrations that seem to make more sense, like when it comes to CRM, customer relationship management, uh, LinkedIn, and, and Microsoft do have some commonalities there, uh, some overlaps that could be complementary. Uh, so when it comes to synergies, I don't, I don't see this as a really compelling reason for the acquisition. Uh, but but sure, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. Uh, And that's really the approach you have to look at with a lot of acquisitions. Just the fact is, many of them fail. But as far as compelling in the reason of LinkedIn as a solid business model in and of itself, I think that that does make sense because you have to keep in mind that even though uh, the stock is being purchased at a 50% premium, it's also down significantly from its 52-week high, which was uh, in the mid-200s. So Um, As far as it being a business in in and of itself, I think that that is a key compelling reason uh, for this acquisition. Facebook has kind of really shown the longevity of the network effect, uh, especially when it comes to network marketing business. uh, I'm sorry, network marketing, (laughs) uh, when it comes to social media business models. Uh, So I think that the network effect can be powerful there. Uh, LinkedIn is, is a successful business. Sure, there's still young and growing, but uh, they don't have any key problems uh, that make it look like it couldn't succeed in its own right. So, that's kind of the compelling thing I see there, is just LinkedIn is a solid business in and of itself.
0: Yeah. It seems to me like the things that consumers are going to see from this deal, your, your everyday mm-hmm. internet browser, doesn't really support the deal all that much. It's more on the enterprise side, the CRM side. Um, I think Microsoft seems to see a lot of value in the Navigator tool that uh, LinkedIn has. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, when you, you see them on the presentation and the co- press conference that uh, they announced this deal on, you know, talking about the integration of the news feed and using LinkedIn profiles within Outlook so you have a more robust yeah. understanding of who you're talking to, you're like, man, that, that does sound like the kind of thing they could have achieved in a partnership. You know, it, it, I don't know that that was something that needed uh, a $26 billion price tag attached to it. But on the CRM side, maybe there's something more.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think we also see uh, Microsoft actually brought up that while this is a complementary acquisition, uh, the huge focus is here that it's additive, and you kind of see that when they brought up a slide of the addressable markets. Uh, Microsoft defines LinkedIn's addressable market as basically totally additive, which does seem a little bullish and optimistic, uh, so we should maybe raise our eyebrows on that one. But um, they defined LinkedIn's addressable market as $115 billion, where Microsoft was already at $200 billion. So, Microsoft sees this as a huge addition to their opportunities. Uh, so, that's kind of one way we could think about it, too.
0: Yeah, and the penetration for that market right now is in probably the single-digit percentage, right? I think they're trailing 12-month revenue is somewhere in the neighborhood of about $3 billion. So, there's exactly. certainly quite a bit to realize there, but uh, mm-hmm. I do agree it's a little ambitious. Uh, So, looking back, Microsoft is not a company that is known for very great choices with their acquisitions. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think that their track record here kind of highlights some of the issues with making big acquisitions. Do you want to run through a couple and kind of show some of the risks here?
1: Yeah. So, big acquisitions that's the highlight microsoft if if you were to look at all their acquisitions it could have panned out fairly well but when you look at the big ones and obviously those are the ones that have the most material impact on investors ones that matter but recently there was a 2014 acquisition of nokia which was around 8, $8 billion dollars virtually all of this value was almost erased in a matter of a few years and that was that was just mind-boggling uh, when it comes to the restructuring charges uh, and the the write-down on the balance sheet. When you add up all this, uh, basically Microsoft just spent a lot of time firing people, getting rid of people, uh, reorganizing stuff, and then basically getting rid of the business. So uh, it was a complete failure. The total charges were probably somewhere
0: around $10 billion that were wasted on this deal. And what about the Aquantive deal? Uh, that was, was a little further back, mm-hmm. but the story is kind of similar there.
1: Yeah, so Aquantive... Uh, was an acquisition made to kinda keep up with Google. Uh Google was hot stuff. Microsoft wanted to up their game there. Uh so they wanted a piece of AQuantive was, was specialized in some digital advertising products and and same thing. This virtually almost all of the value was completely completely erased. Uh this acquisition was was around six point two billion dollars I think. Um and it was the the write down was also uh pretty much the entire value of this business uh, and and like we mentioned earlier th- these are different types of it, of acquisitions too uh, which came before Microsoft's new CEO which were more focused on integrating these into the business uh, while LinkedIn is actually uh, they're really trying to emphasize that LinkedIn is valuable in and of itself so maybe that'll help uh, avoid some of the the downfalls that could come from integrating such a different business.
0: Yeah, I think, if you want a metaphor for how to think about these acquisitions and Microsoft's mm-hmm. history, the Nokia and Aquantive acquisitions, kind of like buying a car that has working parts, but you need to fix it up a little bit. Uh, buying something like LinkedIn is like buying a car that runs. You know, it, it works on its own. You don't need to put in work to get a lot of the value out of it that you see. Granted, there's a premium there, but in and of itself, it's a pretty strong business.
1: Yeah definitely and that that kind of brings us into you know another one of the risks for this company is uh for this acquisition is is the premium it's the the high price that uh, they're paying and while like i said earlier the stock is down from its 52 week high uh the 50% premium microsoft is is uh paying highlights the huge difference between what the market thinks linkedin is work, worth today and what microsoft thinks it's worth and yeah, 3.2 billion dollars in revenue for LinkedIn, and you're paying 26.2 billion dollars. That that already kind of highlights that LinkedIn is a really forward-looking valuation, uh, which does make sense. The revenue is growing, but it, it highlights that the fact is you pay a higher price, then there is a greater risk to the value actually coming through. So that's that's one of the key risks in this uh, in this acquisition, and then. Uh, like we said the proposed synergies that they're talking about are just a, a little bit questionable um so i see the value as a business itself but i don't know i mean some of these some of these are a little little funky
0: <laughs> yeah i will say you know the purchase price you said you know trailing 12 month mm-hmm. revenue of 3 billion you look at the purchase price of 26 that puts mm-hmm. them at about 8 times sales which isn't outrageous as acquisitions right. go uh but mm-hmm. it is expensive um you know that that one ninety six figure is around where they were trading uh prior to offering up that kind of lackluster guidance and that that revised outlook on what twenty sixteen will be so you know there are a lot of shareholders that uh have seen the price around here or even higher uh during the time they 've owned right. it um, Exactly. so sorry were you to say something
1: <laughs> no just yeah that that does highlight that you know it is trading lower so. It depends on how you look at it. Zoom out a bit, which is usually the best practice. And Microsoft is being somewhat prudent by, you know, they, they, at least they didn't purchase it when it was trading uh, around
0: $260. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Um, so, we did get a question from a listener related to the acquisition. Uh, so, the question was, uh, Microsoft has $100 billion in cash, most of it's overseas. Would they pay taxes on cash repatriated for the purchase of LinkedIn? And so, reading through the um, the announcement and the conference that uh, Nadella did, uh, they made it clear they're going to finance this transaction through new debt, and they're going to issue new debt uh, to finance all of this. So, the short answer is, the company isn't planning on using any cash for this deal, or they're not using that existing foreign cash hoard for the deal. Uh, so, that doesn't come into play here. More broadly, uh, in terms of how to think about that cash that's held abroad. If they were interested in using that money to fund activity in the U.S., they should have to pay taxes on it when they're repatriating. But there are companies that have found ways around doing that. And there's actually a really excellent article from Bloomberg. It's a little dated. It's from 2010. But it's called Dodging Repatriation Tax Lets U.S. Companies Bring Home Cash. And because it's a little bit old, the practices are not going to be totally up to date. But I think this article gives you a really good sense of the incredible game of cat and mouse that goes on with offshore cash and the, the people that are trying to enforce uh, the tax laws and the incredible financial resources that are put to circumventing them or uh, avoiding them. You know, it's, there's always a huge difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance. Um, so, uh, if you reach out to the show, we can send you that. Um, like I said, it's not totally up to date, so the practices you know might not be. Totally current might not be what companies are doing, but it is an interesting look at this side of the, the tech space, and we'll probably do a show on offshore cash at some point in the future, because it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting topic. So, uh, and before we get off the debt issuance altogether, um, I read this morning that following the announcement of the deal, and the fact that it's going to be financed by debt, Moody said that they will be placing Microsoft's AAA credit rating under review, and there's a possibility that it could be downgraded. Um, and which is which is shocking to me, I mean there are three at the moment businesses that have triple a credit ratings it 's Microsoft j and j and i'm i 'm blanking on the third uh daniel, can you help me out
1: i i'm not sure
0: yeah uh I know Exxon recently um, suffered a downgrade, but this revision or this under review nature of the credit rating it 's not a reflection of the deal itself uh this is something that kind of gets triggered by the uh, debt to EBIT ratio that the company maintains, and so you know you'll see this play out over the next you know month, two months, something like that. But uh, don't be surprised if you see this happen. This is something that's been kind of flag posted. Oh. And uh, so, of course, all of this is contingent. All this discussion that we're having, Daniel, is contingent on the deal actually going through, right? Uh, the the company's board has signed off on the deal. It's not necessarily a done deal. Um, there are still shareholder votes and the regulatory approval process. For the sake of discussion, let's assume everything goes smoothly here. At the end of the day, it feels like this is something LinkedIn shareholders should be pretty happy about. I think so. And we could
1: kind of think of the LinkedIn shareholders as in two groups. Uh, This is probably oversimplifying it. But there's probably those who have owned the shares a long time, uh, probably always have uh, believed in the bullishness of the business. And shares might still feel trading lower to them. Uh, in that case, th- these guys are, you know, probably big believers in the business, might want to hold on to shares, or whether it plays out or not, uh, because either way, you know, they believe in LinkedIn. Then there's those who came in maybe seeking a bargain after the sell-off that's that's occurred recently, and this could be a way for them to cash out. But either way, this is definitely, it's a, it's a win for LinkedIn
0: shareholders. And you have to love an all-cash deal as a shareholder. You know, you are not being stuck with Microsoft stock, you know, as a, as a LinkedIn shareholder, you're getting cash. Uh, you're getting a, a pretty nice premium on current share price. You know there are some people that are still down on this position. I noticed in looking at you know Lincoln's stock price over the last couple of days, deal was announced at 196, and that's mm-hmm. where it traded immediately on Monday. And then you see it slowly come down, and it was around 192 when I checked before the show. Uh, any theories as to why something like that might be going on?
1: Yeah, I think that yeah, it's just people taking their profits, uh, making sure that. You know they they get the best value here, and like we said, we're not sure if the deal will actually go through. For so for someone who came in and bought during this sell off, which it could be a lot of people because the the sell off was significant, uh, this is a huge gain for them, and they might not want to take the risk to see what would happen if the deal doesn't uh, fall through. I mean, doesn't go through. So
0: yeah, I guess there's some pricing there in the possibility that the deal doesn't go through, a little little risk, uh, two percent drop or something like that. But um there's also you know the the case to be made, like you said, these long-term shareholders that it's worth holding on to and seeing what happens. You know, there there's the possibility that the deal doesn't go through, in which case if you are a long-term shareholder and you love the LinkedIn business model, there's nothing wrong with holding on to your shares until the deal closes um on the off chance that something weird happens and regulatory agencies say no, like we're not gonna let this go through. And then you'll get that five, ten year look at LinkedIn that you were hoping for. Uh, yeah,
1: and it's also it's also worth saying Too that, I guess there could be a way that this could be negative uh, to some shareholders like that. They might really believe in the business, and that this uh, is a long-term winner for them, and they were anticipating higher returns, you know, over a five, ten-year period. So for them, it might be a little bit disappointing. They might feel like that Microsoft is getting a steal and is kind of taking their potential profits. So that I guess that's one way it might not be all positive.
0: Yeah, and that could certainly be the case for some of the people that bought during the highs, you know, when it was up in the 250s. Um, exactly. And for Microsoft shareholders, I, you know, it ultimately comes down to how bullish you are on LinkedIn's business prospects, I think, right? You know, you saw, I think, the day they announced it, uh, Microsoft traded down uh, about 2%. And so, you know, we're, we're obviously not focusing too much on short-term movements here, but that just kind of gives you an idea of the market sentiment and maybe how some Microsoft shareholders are feeling. Um if you like uh linkedin as a business and you're a microsoft shareholder then i think you kind of have to like this move if you're kind of agnostic about it you don't really care um i guess it's kind of a wait and see
1: yeah yeah and it, you know going back to that addressable market the anchor, incremental addressable market i think that microsoft shareholders could look at take a look at those addressable markets uh which are you know basically talent solutions uh that's that's the primary one and then Uh, With LinkedIn's recent acquisition of Linda, uh, they brought in learning and development. Uh, LinkedIn defines that as a $30 billion addressable market as a portion of that 115 we mentioned earlier. So Microsoft shareholders could kind of maybe study those addressable markets, could be a little exercise for them um, and see if, hey, is there value in these areas and does LinkedIn look like the business that that can really dominate in some of these areas and expand their uh, their market. And and that could be one way for them to kind of assess if this is uh, added value or not. Gotcha.
0: Uh, before I let you go, any other thoughts,
1: Daniel? Um, I'm not a LinkedIn shareholder. So this has been interesting for me to see from the outside. You and I were talking before the show, we've kind of, you know, gone back and forth about, about it, but, um, you know, I guess we missed out not buying here. So congratulations to those who did buy during the the sell-off. That's that's uh, an exciting gain. It's nice to wake up and see fifty percent. And I think before that, uh, in the maybe month and a half or so leading up to that, shares were up double digits as well. So it's a pretty big gain in a short time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of fools been following the company, so I'm sure there were a lot of happy fools out there. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Daniel. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. It's fun. Yep. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at fool.com. You can always tweet us at MFIndustryFocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out The Fool's family of shows at fool.com podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Daniel Sparks, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on.